0: The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Amen. If you appreciate all that Brianna does for our church, say amen. We appreciate you so very much, Brianna. Thank you. Uh, take your Bibles to Isaiah, the 6th chapter. Isaiah chapter 6. You got a moment to get your device there, whatever means through which you have God's Word. Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, It's an exciting season in our church life. Um, I think there's kind of this sense among all of us that uh, the Lord is really doing a work in our hearts and among our church, among this body of believers, and there's just kind of this almost like sitting on the edge of our seats that I know I feel and I know many of you feel as I've talked and have gotten to know many of you that um, we just really feel like the Lord is doing something in our church. And that's not something I want to emotionally conjure up in anyone. I, I want you to be convinced of that by God's Holy Spirit, not by me. And uh, and it's exciting. It, it truly is. Um, you know, it's interesting. They, they've done research lately that um, similar to the way in which you can take an athlete's body and measure the width of their shoulders and, and their bone structure and their, their muscle density, you can you can pretty much... Tell from an athlete based on the measurements of their body what event in the Olympics that they will be most successful at, just by the shape and the design of their body. And they've also found this to be true with people's handprints. The, you, we all know that we have the little ridges and lines in our fingerprints and our handprints, and uh, and they're doing research now, finding that when they see the pattern of your hand or your thumb or your fingerprints, uh, the way the ridges are laying on your hands and the design of the shape. If you were to set your hand in ink and then put it on paper, you could see your handprint. Based on the shape and the design, they, they, can make an, they can make an estimation on the success and failure tendencies of that person. Success tendencies being the things that will be good qualities about that person. If they'll be patient, if they will be a a laughing type of person, a joyful type of person, they can make they can make a guess on on somebody based on their handprint of their success tendencies as well as their failure tendencies. Things about a person that will make them make them have a more difficult life. Uh, things that will make the person short tempered. They can make judgments and estimations. Now this is not palm reading and the you know. Gypsy, global, you know, crystal ball. This is not what I'm talking about. This is not at all. This is simply just like if you were to look at an athlete's body and be able to tell what event in the Olympics they'd be most successful at. And as I learned about this this week, I thought, you know, I wonder in a season like this in a church where we really feel like the Lord is doing a work among us, what are the failure tendencies for us? If our church as a whole collective body, if we had a handprint, does god does god 's word give us an understanding of what would be our failure tendencies, things that would cause us to fail, things that may not make us fail, but things that we 're prone to? I think we know what some of the success ones are. This is a friendly church. I uh, love being here I mean the people I mean Abby and I have just gotten to know and love so many of you already we, we just we love how easy it 's been to get connected with all of you and that has been so fun so I mean I think we know what some of the success Tendencies are we've got this great building, a warm, safe place to be at a great location. I mean, we know what some of the success tendencies are, but what are some of the failure tendencies? If you've got your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. And we'll start with this presupposition that Isaiah was used mightily of God. There were areas that I believe that are in the beginning portion of this first chapter 6 here, in the first part, that I believe are failure tendencies that Isaiah avoided. So, let's look at it together. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah having a vision. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it st- stood seraphim. These are angels. Stood seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet. And with the two he flew. And one seraphim cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Can we pray together? God, I don't want this to be just another morning, another day, another service. God, you are too powerful, you are too holy, and you love us too much to let us continue on in the way that we are. So, Father, don't let us just learn, pierce our hearts with your truth. Let us drink it in like a sweet, sweet drink. Let it be honoring to you, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody says... Amen. You know, I think we can make an assumption of, of what the failure tendencies of our church, uh, what, we, what, what we know won't be the issue. And there are things that we'll see in God's Word in a moment that I think we can see could potentially be issues if we're not careful, if we're not diligent to understand God's Word, that I think Isaiah very properly avoided in his life and ministry, and his walk with the Lord Jesus and his walk with the Lord. Uh, But here's some things that I I just don't think that we will have problems with. Um, I I don't think fulfilling what it is that God would call us to do in this exciting season of us collectively as a church seeking God's vision for us as a body of believers, as his bride, I I don't think an issue will be a lack of money. Uh, We live in the the United States where the average household has on average 30% more wealth Than some of the households in the richest countries in the world. I just don't believe that us in America and and the prosperous nation that God has blessed us to live in, that the lack of money will be the issue, be the thing that stops us from fulfilling what it is that God has called New Covenant Community Church to do. I don't believe that it's going to be a lack of unsafe people. We are knee deep in those in our culture. John 4 verse 35 says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, Jesus says, and look at the fields. For they are already white with harvest. My dear friends, New Covenant Community Church, in the area in which it is, the surrounding region, it is white for harvest. I don't think finding unsafe people is going to be the issue that we have. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a lack of God's power. And in fact, I don't think, I know it will not be because of a lack of God's power. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says, "Oh Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing. Everyone shout, nothing. Nothing too hard for you." So we read our scripture in Isaiah, and, and I just believe there's, there's things that we ought to see as God's children of, of things that Isaiah they, that could have detracted Isaiah and his walk with the Lord and the great, great ministry and calling that God called Isaiah to. Isaiah avoided those things because of his faithfulness, and and, and we will read about it. So create this picture in your mind and and read back with me. Look to verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew." And one cried to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So, create this picture in your mind. let's, Let's allow our hearts to drink this in. Imagine you're you're Isaiah, put yourself in his shoes or sandals or whatever, whatever he had on at the moment, And, and you're seeing this vision, this is a vision that Isaiah had of his calling, of what God was calling him to do, and imagine you're standing in a doorway and you see the Lord. And what it says is that he was high and lifted up. The throne was not even on the same level as where Isaiah was standing. It was high. It was almost, I imagine in my mind, like a stair-step type, very large, very high. And on top of that very high and large structure was God's throne. That's the first thing he sees. He also sees that God's robe filled the temple. How many of you have ever been to a wedding and you see the bride with a really long train on her dress, like 10 feet plus? Sometimes you're just like, man, how's she walking that? Thing? I mean, it's just, it's just, like, it's like she comes in, and then five minutes later, the end of it walks in. You know, it's just, it, no, it, increase that picture by one hundred thousand million times. I mean, it, the robe fills the temple. The corners, it's stacked up. What God is clothed in this light, this glory, is everywhere. Stacked up in the corners, up to the edge. It's it's everywhere. The seraphim, which we know are angels, not just any angels but very powerful angels that are described as being around god 's throne, the word seraphim literally describing the one of flame or in a flame one it describes such a glorious light emanating from these beings. Revelation chapter four mentions them, so we don't know how many seraphim there were that Isaiah was seeing. We know that maybe there was possibly four because that's what Revelation four mentions with the four living creatures. But these four powerful, glorious, shining angels, six wings, three on each side, with two they're covering their face as a sign of they are the ones emanating this glorious light. But they're covering their face to protect themselves from God, a greater glorious light. With two they're covering their feet, which in the day that Isaiah lived was a very, very important sign of respect that they would. Covered their feet, that one would cover their feet. These angels are covering their feet and with two wings they're flying and they're calling to each other saying this holy, holy, holiest Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah says at the voice of the created being, of the seraphim just calling out to one another, of them worshiping God, that the doorposts, either side of the door are shaking and that the room fills with smoke. What would you have thought? I mean, honestly, just be real here. What would you have thought if you walked into this church, into this building, and, and you walk in and through the threshold of the door right there where Larry's sitting, and you walk in and all of a sudden the sides start shaking and the room just kind of has a haze all over it? What would you immediately think? I mean, what, what would you think happened? What's that? What's that? Yeah, earthquake. Earth, you, you would think of it shaking, you would, maybe dust coming down. You would think earthquake. So the picture that we need to have in our minds is what Isaiah is experiencing is simply the voice of the created beings calling out to one, one another, worshiping God. It is so powerful that it causes an earthquake-like atmosphere. That's what Isaiah is experiencing. And this was Isaiah's response. Look to verse 5. So I said, woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So I think so far we've covered two failure tendencies. Things that Isaiah recognized that he avoided, or rather he noticed and thus avoided the pitfall of not reverencing something that's so true about God. The first thing I'll give you, number one, is God's absolute, His utter, His complete, His total, His perfect, His unmitigated, His pure, His sheer, His downright, outright holiness. The absolute holiness of God. Church, I could stand at this pulpit and preach to you all for a thousand years, and you're all saying that would take a long time to get to lunch. I could preach to you for a thousand years. We could study the Bible for a thousand years and never even begin to scratch the surface of what it means to see God's holiness, His absolute holiness in a true and perfect picture. There's a great song that I like, and I think many of you probably like this song, um, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Raise your hand if you know that song. Yeah, a lot of us, it's Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord most people don't know that a lot of that song comes from the verses that we just read. To see you high and lifted up, what we just studied. Shining in the light of your glory. The seraphim making the, just the beaming radiant light. Pour out your power and love. And here's the part of the song that goes haywire. As we sing holy, holy, holy. We won't say that. For you and me in our state and the way that Isaiah was, it was not Isaiah singing holy, holy, holy. It was the sinless angels and all they could do was cover their faces and their feet in respect for God. All Isaiah could do is say, woe is me! I'm undone! I'm undone! For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips." Putting a man in the way that Isaiah was, in the way that you and I are, in front of God, it's like putting a leaf in front of a blowtorch. The nature of one consumes the nature of the other. What Isaiah got right was God's absolute and utter, utter holiness. And most of us, here's, here's the place, church, because here's, here's the downfall of this. Isaiah saw and here's where you and I could really mess this up is because there's many things about God's holiness that we like. We like the high and lifted up. That's cool. We, we like the seraphim and the light. That's cool. We like the shaking and the, you know, the, the, the earthquake-like atmosphere that God makes just by His presence emanating into the room. And we like the, the robe. Flowing. We like the pictures of all those things. The things that we don't like about God's holiness is when Jesus says, be holy for as I am holy. When we start to, to pick and choose our life against God's holiness, that is where we can come into great difficulty. There's this great illustration, and, and some people might think it's a little crude for a Sunday morning, but I think we can all handle it. Um, it's very popular among youth pastors. And it quite, really, quite frankly is the best illustration I know regarding our sin and who we are and God's great holiness. Um, and perhaps you've heard it before, you very well may have. If I were to have, uh, pull, say, pulled out of the kitchen a fresh pan of brownies, uh, and you can, the smells permeating the room, and they're you know, just a little underdone, nice and soft. I mean, that, that just sounds wonderful. I mean, you can just imagine the smell. And what if I offered you a plate of these brownies with a nice scoop of, scoop of vanilla ice cream, and I gave you a fork and, and just put it right in front of you? I mean, that would be so enticing. And what if I said to you, there's only a little bit of dog poop mixed into the batter? you rightfully would be repulsed utterly repulsed and what if i said no there's just there's just there's so little amount you won't even notice it doesn't matter how little of an amount you would be repulsed and what i want to say is god is repulsed in the same way by our own sin that is not covered in the blood of jesus christ it does, not matter. it does not matter how holy you live, how much you know the Bible, if all of your life, if all of your sin is not covered by the blood of Jesus, it's as if you're coming to God and saying, take this brownie, it's only got a little of something repulsive in it. My dear friends, God is holy. There is a great chasm between you and me and God, and it is only bridged, it is only, only bridged by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we cannot come to Him in our own, in our self and who we are. It, it is because of His mercy and His grace that would give us His identity and then the bridge is then gapped. God is holy. We are to do well if we never forget it. Everyone say amen. Number two, the thing that Isaiah saw, the thing that he it could have been a failure tendency that he did not fall to, was the uncleanliness Of the human condition. Number two, the uncleanliness of the human condition, particularly the tongue or speech. Isn't it interesting that of all the things Isaiah could have said as he is undone, as he's saying, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean, he could have said his hands, I'm a man of unclean hands. I'm a man of unclean hands who sheds innocent blood and among a people who shed innocent blood with their hands. I'm a man of unclean eyes. My eyes have seen unclean things. I'm a man of unclean sexual members, whatever. The thing that really struck fear in the heart of Isaiah was his lips. It was what he said. Isaiah knew well the condition of his sinfulness and who he was, the sin that he was so prone to, particularly his speech. James 3, verses 7-8 through 8 says, For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. And Isaiah saw that. He recognized his tendency to, to, to sin so willfully it was it was his presumptuous sin that just rolls off the tongue no pun intended it, it just it just rolled off and it, and it created for him this great great need for God when he saw God's holiness he saw his sinfulness it left him in this place of the desperation of needing God take your bibles to 2nd Chron- 2nd chronicles chapter 26 everyone go there Second Chronicles 26. Giving your fingers a workout flipping through the Bible this morning. Second Chronicles 26. In verse 1, this is referencing King Uzziah, who if you remember from the beginning part of Isaiah, of Isaiah chapter 6, he, this vision began in the year that King Uzziah died. This is simply recording some things about King Uzziah's life. It says, Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, this is verse 1 of chapter 26, 2 Chronicles, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah, after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jeho, I don't even know how to say that, <laughs> Jecolia Je- 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 of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines, and broke down the wall at Gath, and the wall of Jephna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians, and he lived in Gerbael, and against the... Munites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong, and Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the corner buttress of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert. He dug many wall wells, for he had much livestock, both the lowlands and the plains, he also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains, and Carmel, for he loved the soil. so he was a garden grower like many of us are. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to, to war by companies according to the number of their role, as prepared by Jael, the scribe and Messiah, the officer. Under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was about 2,600. Under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with, the mighty, with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, slings, to cast stones. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord God. My dear friends, it is vital that we understand God's absolute holiness and the proneness that you and I have to sin specifically with what we are saying. The next time you're watching the news, the next time you see one of these little news blips come across your Facebook news feed where you see someone's mugshot, I want you to look square at that picture of the person in their face, and I want you to tell yourself that you're only two or three stupid decisions from being right there. And if you think I'm wrong, you're denying yourself. You're denying the truth that we are prone to sinfulness. This is why Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm among a people that are the same way. We're prone to this. Our tongues slip in these types of things. We are so very prone to this kind of sin there was a mother who her young son said mommy I just I love you so very much and the mother who struggled with her self-image she said son how could you love me I'm so fat and ugly and before the boy even had time to think he a a bad thing rolled off his tongue he says mommy you're not fat and ugly you're fat and pretty church we must (laughs) If we're lying to ourselves, if we don't think we are prone to sinfulness, we are lying to ourselves. God is holy, we are not. He is high and lifted up, and we are not. Now look back, if you will, to verse 6, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6. It says Then one of the seraphim, one of these angels, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Now, this coal, there's nothing special or magical about this coal. This is simply a picture of redemption. Isaiah recognizes his sinfulness before God. Something special from God comes and touches mankind and makes him clean. It's a, it's a picture of the blood of Jesus making Isaiah right before God. It was not Isaiah's coal. He didn't own it. He couldn't go up there and get the, with the tongs and get it out himself. No, this is something from God brought to him when he recognized his sinfulness before God and was willing to admit his repentance before God and his sinfulness before God. My dear friends, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We begin from this standpoint of in our church life, we understand that it must start, number three, with spiritual cleansing. This is where it all begins. Spiritual cleansing. This is why we must be a church about the gospel. We must be a church about only one way to being to heaven, which is what Scripture says teaches we must be about spiritual cleansing if, if if this didn't happen nothing else would have if spiritual cleansing did not happen for isaiah no other ministry would have happened if spiritual cleansing does not happen for you and me no other ministry can happen if we're not willing to devote ourselves to the gospel which teaches that there's one way to heaven his name is jesus christ and you must be forgiven of your sins by repenting and his blood forgives you if, if we don't do that Let's all pack up and go home. Because this Bible isn't true. This, what I'm preaching isn't true. That is, must be, it must be where we start spiritual cleansing. Look now to verse 8. Also, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Now I want you to have the picture of what Isaiah is experiencing. Light. robed, stacked up. God's, the train of His robe stacked up on the edges. Seraphim flying around. A great recognition of God's holiness and His sinfulness. A seraphim bringing him this coal representing the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of God that touched his lips and cleansed his whole self, and made him right before God. And then God on his throne is saying, Whom shall I send? The Lord is one. Who will go for us? It gets a little trinity in there also. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And what does Isaiah say? He could have said a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, if we were just honest, there's many things that he could have said that probably we would say. And the very first thing I would think to myself is probably, um, God, do you not see the flying seraphim burning with wonderful, glorious light? Don't you think they're a little bit more equipped than me? I guarantee you that's what I'd say. That was the first thing that I thought of when I put myself in this situation as I was reading it. Guys, Isaiah did not know the five theological reasons as to why he needed to do such and such. He didn't understand the five points of Calvinism and all the other theological things that we so mentally put ourselves through the exercise of. All he knew is that he was cleaned and therefore he was equipped. Look to your neighbor and say, Are you clean? Look at him back again and say, You're equipped. Are you clean? You're qualified. You're equipped. That is all it takes. So number four is what I'll tell you is that we must be willing. We must be willing. And here's why I know that this is is such a failure tendency among you and among me and among believers. Here's why I know. Two reasons I'll give you. First being um, the main reason, Matthew 9, verse 36 through 38 says, The harvest is truly plentiful, Jesus says, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The problem is not that there's not a good crop out there, it's simply that there's not enough laborers to go out and get it. There's not enough people willing. There's not enough people willing to say, Here am I, Lord, send me. There's not enough people for that. That's why Jesus says himself, Pray that people will say to the Lord, Here I am, Lord, I am willing. It's hard to get a, an exact number, but most of the research tells us that between 3 and 8% of Christians, of church going Christians, do any kind of faith sharing whatsoever of any type of any kind. Let me just say that again. If you take a hundred people in America, a hundred, somewhere between three and eight, that means that about 97, what is that? Somebody help me with the math. Over 90 people. <laughs> don't do anything they don't do anything to share the truth of the gospel that they know so no wonder it's true that jesus says pray that that people will come to god and say here am i lord here am i send me guys i, I this is not this whole prayer journey that we've been on the solemn assembly service tonight this, this is not some conjuring up of emotion that i'm doing to try and for all of us to somehow land on something that i already had thought up in my mind. I, I do not know what it is that the Lord will call this church to do. I don't. I don't. And, and I'm humble enough to say that I don't know what that is, nor am I willing to say that I'm the guy that has all the answers to tell you exactly what God would have us do. I don't. But if we gather together tonight and we feel like the Lord has given us a direction to go, a, a mission to work on, something to... I, I, I don't know what that looks like, but if we feel like the Lord is, is moving our hearts together, My prayer is that we would say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Here's the New Covenant Community Church. Send us, God. Send us. We'll do it. And and, and we may know that mentally. You, You may understand the statistics that very few people do anything about sharing their faith. You may understand what Jesus says to pray that people will come to God and say, here am I, Lord. Send me because not many people do. We may know that. But it's going to be a very difficult, heart decision that each one of us has to make individually of whether or not we're willing to obey the Lord in this. If this was an easy thing to obey the Lord in it, it wouldn't be one of those things where there's just like a bajillion people in church that don't do anything about their faith. This will be, it will be a failure tendency and a powerful one should we be lax about our faith. Should we not have a belief and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that moves us to, to love a people that, that will... There are people driving on 62 right now in front of our church. Right now that will spend eternity in hell. If you don't believe that, you won't do anything about it. If you hate them, you won't do anything about it. If you believe it and you love them, when God has given us a vision, the answer will be, Here am I, Lord, send me! The people are lost. They're dying. Send me. Here I've been cleansed. I, I may not know all the answers. I may not be like these flying seraphim glorious beings that have all the answers, that have these great worshipful songs. But here am I. I'm cleansed. Therefore I'm qualified. Send me, Lord. Send me. I love God's church. I love you guys. I love being a part of this group. But what I love even more than you and in this church and any of that is to see truth. I don't want this to be a patty cake, patty cake experience where we just do what every other church has done. And No, I want this to be something where the Holy Spirit has drawn us, has guided us, and we say yes and amen, and we see people whose lives were originally destined for hell, and now they are, we are going to be with them in eternity forever in heaven because we've loved them enough, we've had enough faith in our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ that He would save them and that God would do a work through us. And I will say this, and I will say this on behalf of myself, and I I feel like I can safely say this on behalf of the board also, uh, as as the governing of this church, is that if you are simply looking for a place just to pat a cake with Jesus and feel good and go home, this is probably not the church for you. We want to see truth. We want to do what's right before the Lord. I don't want to get to the end of my days, nor do you. I'm just going to speak on behalf of you too. You don't want to get to the end of your days and say, I wasted my life. I had this faith that the coal from the, the burning ember from the Lord has touched my lips. The blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven me and I'm cleansed and I'm going to heaven. Here I am on my deathbed and I'm bringing no one with me. You don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. I want to experience God's word and truth. I want my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to, 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 have, to have seen what it's like to walk with Him. And to love Him. And to love the people around me enough. To show them the truth. Brian, if you would come. The failure tendencies, I'll list them one more time. It would be to miss God's absolute holiness. It would be to miss that, to belittle it, to overlook it, to be too busy for it. It would be a failure tendency if we miss God's absolute holiness. It would be a failure tendency if for us to not see the uncleanness of our human condition specifically of our tongue, of what we're saying to the world and to each other. The tongue is full of deadly poison. The pastors I know in the area, they call me and they say, Pastor Ben, how's things going at the church? And I'll say, well, as many people as there are, there are, there are dangerous church members in every single seat on Sunday morning because we've all got this member inside our mouths called a tongue and it's full of deadly poison. It's full of it. That applies to me, that applies to you, it is a failure tendency if we don't see the danger of our proneness to sin and our proneness to slander. It would be a failure tendency to miss spiritual cleansing, to miss spiritual cleansing, to miss the gospel that has saved us, that has redeemed us, that's made us whole that's made us new. We we will not miss that. We, we, We must preach it. We must love the truth that there is one way to heaven and His name is Jesus and He's done a wonderful, merciful thing for us. Spiritual cleansing. And finally, we must be willing. We can know all these things. We can say we're going to do all these things, but at the end of the day, if you're not willing, if I'm not willing, What's the point? Father, I pray in this moment, God, God, let us not miss. Let us not fall by these failure tendencies, these things that we are so prone to do, to not do. God, make us strong this morning. Help us to see Your holiness and truth. Let us not think that we are in this safe place of sanctification and relationship with You. Let us make sure our call and election, election, let us test to make sure that that we are in Your body, that we are of Your bride, that, that we are in Your church. Let us be serious about our faith, God. And oh, Father, would You make us brave? Would You make us strong to be able to look to You and say, here are we, Lord. Send us. Be with us this morning, God. Be with us this evening, Father. Would You speak to Your church? Would You guide us like a shepherd leads his flock? God, the breakdown is not in the shepherd. The breakdown is not in the faithfulness of the shepherd. The breakdown is in how closely the sheep are willing to follow. And Father, I know I've strayed so many times. God, thank You that You forgive us, that You always allow us, You draw us in with a welcome invite to always come to You, to always be drawn back into a relationship where we're following near and close to You. Be among us, God. Do the kinds of things that only you can do. We are nothing before you, God. Thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus that would redeem a people that could have never earned or deserved the pass into heaven, the ticket, the redemption, whatever we call it, God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to give the ultimate sacrifice. To redeem us. To redeem those who would willfully say, Woe to me, Lord. I'm undone in my sin before you. Cleanse me. Make me new. And make me whole. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Would you stand with me? The Lord is good to us. I'll make sure I stay up here plenty of time after the service if anybody wants to talk about what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. These altars are always open for prayer. Let's respond to the Lord now as we sing.